The sermon passage this morning is Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18, the end of the chapter. Again, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. This is God's word. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ our Lord, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we give you thanks this morning at the end of this letter for our elder brother, the Apostle Paul. We thank you, O Lord, for his labors on behalf of the church and for his love for the churches at Galatia. We thank you, O Lord, for the fire in his words. We thank you, Lord, that he has spurred us on by the power of the Spirit who lifted him up, who gave him the words to say. He has spurred us on to walk in increasing faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. And we pray, O oh Lord, that these words this morning, your word, would do the same for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we finally reached this final passage, the last passage of Galatians. And this passage contains Paul's concluding remarks. And like most conclusions, Paul seeks to remind us of things that he has said before. In these last several verses, he wants to bring up to us those matters which he considers to be the most important. He wants to leave with us, to leave with his readers, these particularly crucial ideas that he has introduced throughout the body of the letter. And he does something in the conclusion of this letter that he does in no other letter that he writes. He calls attention to, to the fact that what he's about to write is extremely important. He says in verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. If the people in those churches at Galatia, if their attention has drifted, or they've heard nothing else from this letter. He wants them to, to wake up. He wants them to pay attention to what he's about to say. What is about to be read to them. He reminds them of the Judaizers. He reminds them of their attempt to get the Galatians to buy into a works plus faith based salvation. And he exposes their motives in this passage for what they are. In wanting to have these Gentile Christians in Galatia to be circumcised. But most importantly, he reminds us all 
He reminds the Galatians. He reminds you. He reminds me about what Christianity is all about. The most important idea for us to keep in mind is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so I ask you to consider this as we go through this passage, to think on these things. We are prone as sinful human beings to point out our own works, to show others how much we love God. We want to point to ourselves and say, see, this is my level of dedication and devotion. But Paul teaches us that we should point to the work of Christ to demonstrate how much God loves us. We are prone to point out our own works, to show others how much we love God, but Paul teaches us that we should point to Christ and his cross to show how much God loves us. For your ease, I have divided this passage into three sections. The first section being boasting in the flesh, verses 11 to 13. The second section being boasting in the cross of Christ, verses 14 to 16. And then the third section, the true marks of faith. Again, boasting in the flesh, verses 11 to 13. Boasting in the cross of Christ, verses 14 to 16. And then the true marks of faith, verses 17 to 18. Well, let's look first at verses 11 to 13, boasting in the flesh. Now, in many of the letters that Paul has sent out, he would use a secretary to write his letters. He would use someone who, who would, he would dictate to. And they would write down his letters. And then often at the conclusion, Paul would, would insert a small phrase. He would insert a sentence. And he would write it himself. And he would say, I, Paul, I give you greetings. And that's exactly what Paul does here. But instead of writing just a few words, Paul writes a few paragraphs. It's so important to him that the readers and the people who are hearing his words read know that this is Paul the Apostle directly inscribing his words onto parchment. Paul does not want what is about to be read to be missed. And so he calls attention to the large letters in which he is writing in verse 11. See with what large letters I write. He wants them to know that they should not miss what he's about to say. So in verse 12 he says that it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He is speaking of the demands that the Gentile Christians submit to circumcision. He's speaking about what the Judaizers have been trying to do in their midst. And Paul exposes the Judaizers' motives for these demands. He understands why they are doing this. Paul knows that it is not out of a concern for these Galatian Gentile Christians that the Judaizers are in their midst, insisting that they be circumcised, insisting that they adhere to the dietary laws of Judaism. They don't really believe that circumcision will benefit the Galatians. But how does Paul know this? How does he know this? Can he read their minds? Well, he states how he knows it in verse 13. He says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. The ones who are trying to get you to be circumcised don't even keep the law. They don't believe what they're saying. And as Paul made clear back in chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, with the law, it is all or nothing. You can't insist on one part of the law without keeping it all. And so he knows that the, that the Judaizers don't really believe 
that circumcision will be of any benefit to the Galatian Christians. With the law, you do not get to pick and choose. Well, then what does motivate the Judaizers? What does motivate them to spread this false gospel? What is the point of them going to all this trouble? Well, Paul says in the second half of verse 12 that it is so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They do not want to undergo persecution. They want to avoid it. In other words, the Judaizers want the Gentiles to feel pain, circumcision, so that they, the Judaizers, don't have to feel pain. And here it might be helpful to remind ourselves of the history of the early church at the time that Paul wrote this letter. The early Christian church was generally regarded as simply a branch of Judaism. They met in synagogues. Most of their converts were Jews. They spoke Hebrew. They considered the Old Testament to be their scriptures. But as Gentiles began to come into the church... It began to look less Jewish. It began to take on more and more of a, of a Gentile flavor. And Paul was largely responsible for this influx of Gentiles into the Christian church. And synagogue leaders realized that the Gentiles were not converting to Judaism. They realized that this sect of Judaism, is, what they thought it was, was not really a sect. It was a separate religion. And so in order to keep the pressure off of their backs, the Judaizers realized they needed to do something. The Jewish Christian leaders were in danger of being persecuted because Christianity was no longer flying under the radar. And they were afraid. Well, the second half of verse 13 further elaborates on the Judaizers' motives. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They want to boast in the Galatian Gentile Christian's flesh. They want to be able to point to the statistics of what they have done, how many people they have saved through this gospel of works plus faith. Paul exposes these motives. He brings them to light, and he shows them for what they are. They are selfish motives. These people are not concerned for the Galatian Gentiles. They only want to save their own hides. They want to boast about how many Gentiles they have brought into their own brand of faith under the law of circumcision. Well, I think it's easy to see a similar mindset in much of the evangelism that takes place in the world today. It's very dangerous and it's very easy to slip into this mindset of numbers when we evangelize. When we keep track of how many people we've led to the Lord. It's a danger. It becomes a point of pride. Is it out of concern for other people that we bring the gospel to them? Or is it because we want to just put another notch in our belt? Well, this is a real challenge for those who do evangelism. Do we evangelize out of a deep sense of love and gratitude for what Christ Jesus has done for us? And out of that love that he has, he has bestowed upon us, do we seek to evangelize others and let them know so that they can enjoy Christ's love? Let's look at verses 14 to 16. Boasting in the cross of Christ. Well, in opposition to the motives of the Judaizers, Paul decides to lay out his own motives for his ministry. They may be questioning, well, if you know the motives of the Judaizers, let us know what your motives are. And so he lays them out there. He says in verse 14, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I 
to the world. The Judaizers' motives are that they want to boast in the Galatian Christian's flesh. They want to boast in what they have done. Paul's motive is simply to boast in the cross of Christ. His motive is the love that Christ poured out upon him. Pure and simple. But you see, as far as Judaism was concerned, Paul had every right to boast. He had every reason to boast in his own flesh, didn't he? And he demonstrates this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. He says there that he was born to Jewish parents. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what's more, for Judaism, he re relentlessly persecuted the church. He sought to bring it down. And as far as the law was concerned, he was blameless. He could not be convicted or condemned for any transgression of the law. But in verse seven, verses 7 and 8, he says that all of those reasons for having confidence in the flesh, for boasting, he counted as loss. He considered them to be rubbish, fit only for the trash heap. In Judaism, this was quite a resume. But Paul describes it as refuse. And why does he describe it as refuse? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless, is rubbish, is refuse. You see, Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it changed him forever. He was not the same man after that event. All that mattered to him now was to know Jesus. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, that he decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you and I would do well to follow him in this example. We would decide among ourselves to know nothing more than Jesus Christ and him crucified, to study the cross of Christ. Paul declares that he will boast only in the cross. Well, think about the cross of Jesus for a moment. Think about it. Survey it. Spend some time considering it. It's hard for us to do because the cross has become a sacred symbol. It's been a sacred symbol for the past 18 or 1900 years. It's hard to escape it in our society. People who aren't even believers wear crosses and crucifixes. They want to show some sort of symbol of spirituality. It's, it's become a trend. It's so hard for us to break through all of the chatter and the... And, and the it's almost impossible to understand what the cross of Christ truly means. This wasn't always the case. The cross was invented as a device for execution. That was its point. That was its purpose. And it was invented as a device to bring about the worst form of pain in execution. Well, the Jews viewed crucifixion as the most accursed way to die. They they, they reminded, or excuse me, Paul reminded us back in chapter 3 of the verse in Deuteronomy 21-23, which says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Jews regard Jesus Christ as accursed. How could he be anything but, they say. He could not possibly be the Messiah because he was hanged on a tree. The cross was a stumbling block. It was an offense to the Jews. But it was not only an offense to the Jews. 
The Latin word for cross, crux, was unmentionable in polite Roman society. It was spoken of indirectly. When they would speak about it, it would be in euphemisms. They would say, the unlucky tree. They didn't want to mention the word. So why on earth, why on earth would someone boast about the cross? Why would someone like Paul boast about the cross? In our day, it would be viewed like boasting in a guillotine or an electric chair. Those who don't believe in Jesus will sometimes say, what's the big deal about a cross? Thousands of people were crucified on crosses. What's so special? And it's true. It's true. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified on Roman crosses. There's nothing unique about dying on a cross other than it being specifically designed for pain. What's unique about the cross is who died on it. The Prince of Glory. The Eternal Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. He gives the cross its singularity. He makes it unique. But there's another reason why the cross is unique. It's unique for who did not die on it. You see, the cross was meant for convicted criminals. It was meant for the worst of society. It was meant to send a message to the empire, do this and you will have serious pain and then you will die. The cross was meant for sinners like you and me. We were meant to go to the cross. We who have committed acts of treason against the Most High God. And you see, Jesus died instead of us on the cross. He died in your place. He died in my place. He died in Paul's place. And this is what Paul knows. He died as a substitute for us. And you see, that is the exact opposite of what the Judaizers are trying to do in Galatia. They who would have the Galatians feel the pain so that they didn't have to. What did Jesus do? He took the pain that we deserved so that we did not have to feel the pain. The Judaizers loved themselves. But Jesus loves you and me. And that is why Paul has no problem with boasting in the cross of Christ. Because he recognizes that what took place on that stick, on that tree, is of eternal and most important consequence. Well, the cross continues to be a stumbling block and an offense today. It proclaims to everyone, you cannot save yourself. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't make yourself pleasing to the most holy God. This is offensive to us. We love to look at ourselves and to think about how precious we are. But you see, the cross says all of your accomplishments, all of the things that you have done are rubbish. Now think about all of the controversy that is surrounding the arrest and the capture of, of a 30-year fugitive from the law in Switzerland. Many of you know a famous uh, Hollywood director was recently arrested. Think about all the controversy that's going on right now. He shouldn't be arrested because of all the things he's done. Think about his artistic contributions. He's won an Oscar for movies. He, he directed Chinatown. And what people forget in all of this is that he raped a 13-year-old girl. 
we forget how important our offenses, how staggering our offenses are before the Lord. We, we, we diminish them. We make nothing of them. When we are deserving, because of the slightest sin that we have committed, we are deserving of the cross, the wrath of God poured out upon us. Well, the cross is repulsive to many, but to Paul and to us, it is the only cause for boasting. We boast in what Christ did for us on that accursed tree. Yes, Jesus Christ was accursed. He became a curse so that you and I could live without the curse on our shoulders. Well, verse 14 goes on to say that it is by the cross of Christ that the world has been uh, uh, crucified to me and I to the world. It is by the cross of Christ. And as Paul said back in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When Christ died, all who would ever profess faith in him died with him. You and I. We died with the Lord Jesus on the cross when we professed faith in him. But in reality, it is we who believe in Christ who live. We died with Jesus on the cross, but we have been raised to life as Jesus was raised back to life. We came to life with him. We died with Christ, and now we live. And now it is the world which is crucified to us. And we who are crucified to the world. There were three there were three things, there were three people who were crucified on the cross when Jesus died. The Lord Jesus, us, and the world. The world which represents the, the dominion of sin. The world which is completely at odds with Christians. This world has been crucified to us. And we have been crucified to it. And all who believe in the Lord Jesus have been set free from that dominion. We are no longer slaves to it. We have died to it. And so it is for this reason that Paul can say in verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. When you have joined Christ in his crucifixion, your flesh is dead. Circumcision makes no difference to you. You have been transformed from death to life. You have been born again. You are a new creation. Circumcision is a worthless mark of the flesh, and it does nothing for your relationship with God. This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. And if you are a new creation in Christ, you have the privilege of receiving Paul's blessing in verse 16. Paul says, and, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You see, the blessing that Paul gives here, it's conditional, isn't it? It's not for everyone. It's not a universal blessing that Paul gives. He says it's for all who walk by this rule. And the rule that Paul speaks of here is salvation through the cross of Christ alone. The cross is our standard. It is the measuring stick by which we grade ourselves. You see, the Judaizers held to the standard of circumcision. But those who are new creations in Christ, we believe that circumcision is meaningless. It has no, it has no hold on us. Our standard is the cross of Christ. And in this blessing, Paul says to those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Now, Paul here is probably speaking 
about the peace that he wants to be upon brothers and sisters in Christ, that he wants between Jew and Gentile, slave and free. And he's also speaking of mercy, the mercy of God that is poured out upon the heads of sinners. This is the blessing that he gives to us. But he also says peace and mercy upon the Israel of God. What is Paul talking about here? This is an interesting phrase, and it's a unique phrase in the New Testament, the Israel of God. Paul is not referring merely to Jews here. He's not talking about the Old Testament people of God. He is referring here to all true children of Abraham. All those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are the Israel of God. And so Paul here is speaking of the church. He's speaking of the church, but as it is found both in the Old Testament and in the New. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, as Paul said back in chapter 3, verse 7. The church is the new Israel. It is the true Israel. And it consists of everyone who has ever believed and who will ever believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's turn now and look at verses 17 and 18. True marks of faith and the benediction. Circumcision has nothing to do with we who are new creations in Christ. It is simply a superficial mark in the flesh. Paul makes that clear. But that does not mean that we are without marks on our bodies. That doesn't mean that there aren't true marks of the Christian faith that we bear. Here Paul has come to the end of his letter. He's in the last verse prior to his benediction. But he has one more thought. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The Judaizers' hope was in their own flesh. It was in the mark of circumcision upon their flesh. It was in the hope that those who followed them would receive that mark. They trusted in the rule of circumcision as being a necessary part of salvation. And so they marked themselves accordingly. But Paul too bore marks on his body. These were the scars that he received as a direct result of his ministry in the gospel. At the very least, by the time Paul wrote this letter, he had been blinded by the glory of God. He had been stoned in Iconium. He had been left for dead after being stoned in Lystra. But there, it did not end. After the writing of this letter, Paul, how many times was he beaten how many times was he scourged with the whip? How many times was he near death, shipwrecked? He despaired of death and of his life. Paul knew that these were the only marks that mattered. They meant that he was sharing the sufferings of the Lord. The scars, the bruises, the wounds that he received, the broken bones that he had were the result of his ministry, his labors in the gospel. And these marks identified him in the same way that the marks of branding and tattoos identified a slave to his master. Paul is a slave to his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And these marks bear evidence to that. And Paul is proud of it. And so the troublemakers are to leave him alone because he has been commissioned by Jesus himself to preach the gospel of Jesus. He is under the authority of the Lord Jesus alone. And he will carry out his ministry 
And his marks on the body bear witness to that fact. And the fact of the matter is, after you and I have walked with the Lord for a while, we will bear marks on our flesh as well. We will bear scars. We may, in fact, bear real scars, physical scars. But undoubtedly, and many of you know this, we will bear emotional scars, spiritual scars. This world is not without hurt for those who love Jesus. And this is nothing to fear. This is nothing to flee from. This is nothing to cower from, as the Judaizers did. It is something in which we must rejoice because we are sharing in the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as is Paul's custom, he closes with a benediction. He does this in every letter. And this one is slightly different from all the others. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. In spite of some of the sharp language that Paul has used, and he has used sharp language in this letter, unparalleled in the letters that he has written. In spite of that, the tone of the benediction is one of love. And we have to recognize that the tone throughout this letter, the sharp words that he used, are all because of the fact that he loves these people whom he calls brothers. These are his spiritual children for whom he is again in the pains of childbirth. childbirth. He's in anguish over them. And the strength of his words in the main body of the letter are the the direct result of his love for them. He's angry because he loves them. And once again in the benediction, his love for them is displayed. He calls them brothers. He does not distance himself from them. He does not cut off fellowship with them. He calls them brothers. And he leaves them with the grace of the Lord Jesus. All that Paul needs to say has been said. Well, Paul has rightfully been called the apostle of the heart set free. And he has reminded us throughout this letter, and even in these closing verses, that our walk with Christ is all about God's free grace, his unmerited grace, the fact that we have done nothing to deserve it. And it is by his grace that we have been set free from our enslavement to sin, not by the works of our own hands, not what we have done, not because of the circumcision of the flesh. All that is required for our salvation has been done for us. Christ died for us on the cross, and all that he expects of us is faith in him and repentance, and he gives these to us as gifts. He grants us faith. He gives us repentance. He supplied us with these things. And so the message of Galatians is this. You can't do the work of salvation yourselves. You can't do it. But Christ has done it for you. All that is required of you is to believe in the Lord Jesus. Let us pray.